Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. If you have your Bibles, open them please to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's get into the Word of God. I'm excited. I'm excited. Lord willing, we're going to finish through verse 11. We shall see. Because let me just read, beginning in verse 5, and read through verse 11. The Apostle Peter writes, But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now Peter writes this this marvelous section in order to give believers the experience of assurance of our salvation. And given the fact And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, how Satan, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, wants you to doubt, to doubt your salvation, to doubt who God is, to doubt that God's word is true, to bring doubt in your life in whatever way that he might. But God, on the other hand, wants to affirm our spiritual condition. He wants to affirm your assurance. And assurance, in fact, is really a vital theme of this letter. Even though the main theme is false doctrine, false teachers, false prophets. That's the major theme of of 2 Peter. And in chapter 2, you see him direct specifically toward that. But in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he gives us the ammunition that we need to fight against the false apostles to fight against and to deal with their deluding deceptions. And if we're going to be successful in fighting against that, we need knowledge. Knowledge is the key to dealing with false teachers. When you know the truth, the false is evident. When you know the truth about doctrine, it's easy to see falsehood. The truth about your spiritual condition, it's easy to see now. Those that are lost, and we're living in a world that's black and white in sense that you can see clearly of those that are walking in the light of the kingdom, those that are walking in the paths of darkness and this ways of this world. So where there's knowledge, there's no deception. First, we've got to know the scripture. That's where Peter starts. 
That's where Peter starts is in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what I want the Landmark Church and Valley Home Church to be aware. There's a new false teaching that's coming up in our work. And it's so sad. This is in the area of what we call new lightism. In other words, we've got those men that say, I've gotten this new light. And if you're just a member of our church, you get a special anointing. You'll get something special that's only available to you. But now, what I've seen in my short years, you may look at me and say, Brother Paul, short, short years. <laughs> but in my short time, if you think about the Lord's churches having been here 2,000 years, I have seen where the teaching is that you are not a saint of God unless you are a member of the Lord's New Testament church. That's a new false teaching because you see what happens is now that begins to say I've got to do something else for God to accept me. I've got to do something else and so I want you to be aware of those that would say only saints. Saints are only in the church. Peter doesn't say that here. Peter, as we start in here, he, nowhere does he say that you've got to be a member of the church and for those members of the church you've obtained like precious faith. You see, that's just not there. So you've got to take the scripture and you've got to rest it, you've got to change it. And that's unfortunate because he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you in the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. That's what we're talking about today. We have everything that we need as a child of God that helps us to live unto godliness. And we've talked about in the first messages, if you know your scripture, you know you're sanctified, you're set aside, you know your salvation, you have the defense against those false teachers. And now, we're dealing with kind of this whole matter of salvation. It really began at the source of our salvation in verse 1, and then the substance of our salvation in verse 2, and then verse 3 was the sufficiency of our salvation, and now 5 through 11, it's the certainty of our salvation. So that's what we've been talking about in these past couple of weeks that we must know our salvation if we're going to deal with these false teachers effectively, not succumb to their deception. In verse 5, we started it last week and we talked about the effort that was prescribed. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence. So he says, there's something that you've got to do. Not to get the grace of God, but as a result of the grace of God. Not to get salvation, but now He wants you to work it out. There's something that we do, and that was the effort prescribed. There's an effort involved in being certain of your salvation. If you want to know and you want to be certain, there's something that now Peter's telling you've got to do. Now for this very reason, apply all diligence. All diligence in your faith. It's supplied. The Lord has given it. We're going to stop right there. And if you're going to be certain of your salvation, it means there's a diligent pursuit in your life. It involves that effort. The fullness of assurance is really the product of a zealous effort to really tap into God's 
full supply of the grace and His mercy that He gives in abundance to His children. And secondly, we noted that it was not only an effort prescribed, but there are virtues to be pursued. And that's what He's talked about. And from there we go from the attitude to the action. We know that we're saved, we know that we're in Christ, and now we move to an action. And that's the second part of this verse 5. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So those are the things that we're pursuing, the virtues that we want to see in our life. We want to have a moral excellence that comes from the faith that God has planted in you. That gift that God has put because of that faith. Now you want to have a a moral excellence. That's what the word virtue means. That moral excellence. So add to that moral excellence knowledge. Your knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance. Your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, if you remember, in all of these areas of practical wisdom, there's internal self-restraint. You've got to add that internal self-restraint. Sometimes we have to hold the old man back. Perseverance comes sometimes through trials. And you continue on. And you're walking on and you're continuing, even though... Trials may come, they're there to test us, to give us that assurance. And that's where we left off last week. I want us to think about what he says here in verse 7. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. The word is Philadelphia. You know the city of brotherly love, the city of brotherly kindness. That's the word here. Brotherly affection, friendship. It's a mutual sacrifice for each other. It's at the heart of of godliness. The heart of reverencing God is going to be that we love each other. It's going to be that we love one another. That's what 1 John tells us, in fact, isn't it? 1 John 4, 20 kind of put it that way. That if you love God, you'll love one another. And because... He goes on also in 1 John, that if you say that you love God and you don't love your brother then watch out. That may be earth translation. <laughs> because you are a liar. Because if you really love God, you're going to love your brother. It's exactly the, the meat of it. Is. So if you're a child of God, you are really, what the word is, you see me a godly, reverent. You're going to show affection to one another. You're going to have a kinship. I was amazed because years ago we got to travel the states doing deputation for our mission trip. And it wasn't only here. But as we went around, we found brothers and sisters. And that's why I love that we use that term. I'm a brother. Hi, brother, sister, so-and-so. You know, that we recognize that there is an affection because we are standing in the faith. We are there under Christ. We are in that family of God. And then even more so when you're in the Lord's churches, there's that that great affinity for one another. We're striving for the same goal. We're striving to give God the honor and the glory and the praise and everything. And we see that these two are inseparably linked. The brotherly kindness and love. Hi, 
Let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on landmarkstockton, all one word, dot com. Or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you, and back to our podcast. And in your brotherly kindness love, and that word is agape. Agape love is a sacrificial, it's a selfless love. This is love of the will. This isn't just an emotion. This is the love of choice. It's the love of volition, if you would. Not just an emotional feeling. This is the highest virtue. And that's why Paul called the greatest thing was love. We went from faith, and if you've added to your faith all of these virtues, we come up to the highest point, the greatest thing that we can be doing, and showing the love of God. And so we see the linking to that. And at the heart of my worship toward God is that kindness toward my brother. And at the heart of that kindness toward my brother is the love of God that's been shed abroad to our hearts. There's the pursuit. That's what we're pursuing after. We pursue moral excellence, the virtue. Moral excellence means being like Christ, diligently, zealously, with all of our energy, all of our power, we apply ourselves to a lavish degree, if you would, to lay alongside what Christ has done, our maximum effort. To do all that we can in the pursuit of gaining these virtues in our life. And when you pursue these virtues, you will experience assurance. And I'm going to tell you why. Why I believe that you will. So assurance involved an effort prescribed. The virtues pursued. But let's look at verse 8 and 9. In the options that are presented. Because he says here in verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we'll stop right there. In order for you to enjoy assurance, I have to consider the options that apply. I have to consider the options here. These are presented in verse 8 and 9. I can accept or reject the pursuit of these virtues. The choice is yours. Here's the effort that's prescribed. Peter says these results are obvious, it's clear. The first is the positive option. Verse 8, if I'm going to experience assurance in my life, I've got to take that positive option. That if these things, these virtues, these qualities are yours and abound, isn't that what it says, or are increasing, that's the first option. If these are in you, they're abounding, they're increasing, then you are pursuing these virtues. And if you want to enjoy assurance in all of its richness, here's the means. By pursuing these qualities, by going after these. If you do that, you will find in them increasing in your life because they render you, what did it say, neither useless, barren, nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, follow me closely because Peter gets pretty intricate here. Peter gives us a, a great argument, and there's a little phrase that if these qualities are yours is the idea of what he's telling us. 
If these things are yours, these qualities belong to you, these seven virtues that he's just mentioned, if they belong to you, by the way, the Greek verb denotes property that's really owned. Now, you may be tired of me telling you the Greek this, the Greek that, but I want you to get the sense of what Peter's telling us. I want us to get the, the real meat of what he's saying here because he's saying there's something that's really owned. You know, the important things of life are written down for you. When you were born, you got a birth certificate. When you got married, you got a marriage certificate. It was written down. It's recorded. When you buy property, it's written down. When you became a child of God, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The important things of life are written down. And that's the idea of this. It is a recorded title. It's yours. It belongs to you. That's what this is. If these qualities are yours, you are in possession. It's an abiding possession. And it really deals with property. But Peter takes the use of that and he draws it so that you understand, it's mine, I, I own this. And the expression is strong. And if you really have these virtues and they're increasing in your life, the verb is pleonais, which means to have more than enough. To have more than what's necessary can sometimes mean to have too much. So if you have these virtues in your life, faith, Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. If you have these virtues in your life and you see them increasing, he says, you're neither barren nor unfruitful. They render you, that is, they make you neither useless nor unfruitful. It's interesting because these two terms are really kind of synonymous. To be barren is useless. It means to be out of work, to be inactive, kind of idle. That's the sense of it. It's used eight times in the New Testament, and it means unserviceable, indolent, inoperative, or inactive. Sometimes in Titus 1 and 12, it's interesting because King James uses the term slow belly. I like that. I like the idea of he's a slow belly. That means it's an idle belly. In other words, I'm not going to get out and work for what it's going to take to eat. That's the idea of it. I'm, I'm barren. And by the way, in James, 20, uh, James 2, 20 and 22, it's translated as dead. And if you pursue these virtues, you won't be inoperative or inactive or useless. If you're pursuing these, we won't in one sense be dead in the terms of our effectiveness. That's what he's telling us. And then he adds, nor will you be unfruitful. And that relates, and that's used seven times in the New Testament, and it's usually used of trees. It's used sometimes in Jude 12 of an unregenerate apostate who are like trees without fruits. It's used in Ephesians 5:11 of the unfruitful works of darkness. It's used in Matthew 13:22 of unfruitful superficial believers. And it's used in 2 Thessalonians 3:14 of true believers, but they're unfruitful in their life. So he's saying that when your life does not manifest these things, when your life isn't showing these things, these virtues, you're useless, you're unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if they're in you, and they're on the increase, 
You are not useless. You're not unfruitful. Your life is increasingly fruitful. Your life is, continues to grow. Where they're not there, you're indistinguishable from an apostate, somebody who's just walked away. Indistinguishable from an evildoer, from a superficial believer. They can't tell the difference. Now look at the phrase at the end of verse, verse 8. It's important. Because he says there, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's interesting because in the phrase, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, really shows that he's referring here to true Christians. To those that know Christ. He's saying that if you possess the true knowledge, as opposed to false knowledge, you're a real believer. Now, a real believer has a capacity to produce these virtues. If you're a child of God, you have the capacity, he can do it. You are a real believer, you have that ability, they're inherent within the new nature because God says to the believer that through Christ, that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. We have everything that we need. Ephesians 1 and 3, you have all things that pertain to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. So that's why He's telling us. And so we have that germ, that seed that's been planted. It's the potential for these virtues to grow in the true believer. It has the potential for us to show that we are true and genuine believer Christians who, who see these things increase in our lives. We're not useless. We're not unproductive. But we enjoy the fruit. We enjoy the Holy Spirit working in us. And we're seeing what God is doing. We're seeing how He is working and doing great things. Now that's option number one. If you're pursuing these virtues, you're going to begin to see God working and developing those things. And pursuing these virtues with all diligence, giving every effort prescribed, seeing that in your life, you're increasing in these and the consequent usefulness and the consequent fruitfulness and a life is, you're just excited to see what God's doing. But now look at option number two. It's found in verse nine. For he who lacks these things, here's the negative side. If you lack these things, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgot that he was cleansed from his old sins. He who lacks these qualities, these same seven virtues. If he looks at his life and he doesn't see moral excellence, he doesn't see virtue, he doesn't see knowledge, he doesn't see self-control, he doesn't see perseverance, he doesn't see godliness, doesn't see brotherly kindness, no love, then what does it say? He's blind, short-sighted. Again, Peter gives us synonyms. They're useless and unfruitful are synonyms. And being blind and short-sighted are synonyms. In other words, you're unable to see your own spiritual condition. You can't recognize. You don't see any fruit. You can't recognize your own spiritual condition. You're blind. You're short-sighted. But if, on the other hand, these virtues are not on the increase, a person is blind, short-sighted, cannot see that spiritual condition that they want to enjoy, the assurance that comes with option number one. There, so therefore, there is no assurance. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. 
He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.